Good evening. We'll continue tonight with Srila Jiva Goswami's Bhagavat Sandarbha, the second of the Sat Sandarbhas. At this point, Jiva is beginning to give us some insight into the nature of Bhagavan Sri Krishna. And through various sections, which are referred to as Anuchedas in his uh, Sandarbhas, he brings out philosophical points to clear any misconceptions that may be there, both for his, that he knows are prevalent at his time and his place. In preparing today's class, I was thinking this is, this seems so rudimental, so clear as a bell to us, some of these points that he keeps driving home. Sometimes hard to just keep presenting, you know, in, a, in an interesting way, these philosophical points. And he seems to be repetitive in his presentation, presenting the same basic concepts again and again. But what I came to understand was how thoroughly the underpinnings of the Sandarbhas have been presented to us systematically through the Bhaktivedanta purports. Although my spiritual master is Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, he mentions Jiva Goswami in a few places throughout his purports and, and how illustrious he was in presenting the tattva of the Sampradaya. But what really came home to me was the fact that Prabhupada presented all of these core concepts, these core understandings to dissipate misconceptions are just naturally woven into the purports that he provided for the Bhagavatam and uh, Chaitanya Charitamrita and throughout his writings and, and discussions. But it's good for us still, even though we're driving these points home again and again, and it may seem, well, I, I understand this. I understand, you know, the nature of Bhagavan Sri Krishna. Uh, I have some concept. I want to hear some sweetness. You know, this philosophy is sometimes thick. It's not that thick. We can still swim through it. As I said, your appreciation by understanding Jiva Goswami's, these points, he is milking from the Bhagavatam. He's taking this out of the, the narration of the Bhagavatam. He's taking all this deep philosophy and you start to see by continued hearing from the spiritual master and from the sadhus by continual reading of the Shastra, all the pieces of the puzzle start to fit together perfectly. And there's no room for, for misconceptions that, that we can play into when we become weak, when it becomes a little difficult to, to see the true importance of being fully absorbed in Krishna consciousness, what about my life, what about my wife, my fortune, my 
importance in society, my reputation. The mind has been at this game for many, many, we can't even count, a naughty. As old as Krishna is, we have been in this material realm. Well, Krishna is eternal. We have been here eternally. I know it's hard to wrap your mind around, but there was not a beginning point. There's no, we can't trace out how ingrained and how deep the samskaras are. And sometimes we become frustrated. We say, well, my gosh, I'd think after, you know, 40 years, I would be a little bit more determined in this, you know, I'm still struggling with this and that. Guru Maharaj said something interesting to me. I was writing some articles under his direction on the Madhurya Kadambani, and he said, uh, stress the point that uh, have realistic expectations of your spiritual life. Realistic. I know we would love to, you know, take advantage of an Easter like tomorrow and be raised again and to never have to worry, you know. And There is no worrying for the devotee, actually. It's a fact. But this conception of we should be thrilled to go through the stages of advancement as outlined by Srila Rupa Goswami. Why not be thrilled with it? It's the task at hand, so we should be excited. Adao Shraddha Tata Sadhu Sangotha Bhajana Kriya. We should say, this is great. I don't mind. I'm going to go through a Nartha Nivriti, and yes, my mind is going to raise up its ugly head and throw different stuff in, in my path, but I'm in good association. I have caring uh, preceptor, somebody that's, that's willing to walk me along the path and take me properly to the conclusion of my spiritual life. All I have to do is just stick around. And if you look at it, Prabhupada was four regulative principles and chant 16 rounds. But what were the regulative principles for? The regulative principles are just so we can hang around. Imagine not following some regulated life and expecting the sadhus to tolerate our association. They're just so that we can stick around. It's not like, oh, I break a regular principle and I'm out the door. It's not like that. It's like, just don't do it again and again because the sadhus are tolerant and they're more tolerant than a tree. But when you create disturbances in their society and don't allow them to advance because of your bad habits, then Krishna's going to rectify the situation and you might, might find yourself on the other side of the wall for a while. The main point I'm trying to make here is, is Jiva Goswami's presentations are core to our understanding. All these basic points that Jiva's making, I realize I've heard them so much again and again interwoven into the Bhaktivedanta purports that I took it for granted what Prabhupada gave us. So uh, There's a lot there. We chanted last class these two verses. Thinking Krishna to be her own son, the coward woman Yasoda bound him to a mortar with a rope like an ordinary child. He who was neither inside nor outside, neither front nor back, who exists in 
front of the cosmos and behind it, who is both in within and without it, who indeed is himself the cosmos, and who, though unmanifest and beyond sense perception, had still appeared as a human being. Yuva Goswami continues now, speaking through by utilizing Brahma's, all the verses that Brahma said in praise of Lord Krishna after his little uh, interference with Krishna's pastimes. He's, he's fallen down to Krishna, and we'll kind of go over exactly how that played out a little bit as we go on this evening. Anacheta 34, and this is a continuous of the same idea that Krishna is inside and outside the cosmos. He is and he is not the material manifestation. He is a doksija, and we are to understand him as Lord Chaitanya presented him, achinta beta beta tattva, inconceivably one and different. He's here, and he's not. He's everywhere, he's everything that you'll ever experience, but he's separated from everything that you experience according to your consciousness. He can be with you at every moment, or based on your consciousness, he can be completely separated from you at every moment. It's just a matter of proper understanding and alignment spiritual alignment with him. But here, we're dealing with the tattva, with the basic understanding, not the perception as experienced by the sadhika. So when we talk about the spiritual practitioner, as he's going through the advancing stages of practice, and generally that is the nature. We go through Vaidhi Bhakti and we come to a, a platform of Raganuga Bhakti. But in the beginning, for the most part, for the majority of the sadhikas, it's not like all of a sudden Krishna's going to walk in and, and shake your hand. Generally that's not the case. And even when we see in the Shastra sometimes some exceptional display of Krishna's mercy where he, you know, appears to just immediately liberate someone, there always seems to be a backstory there that this personality's done something extraordinary. Even Gajendra, even uh, Nriga, he gave in charity to a Vaishnav. He was so famous, even when, when Krishna saved him, he he regained his human-like form, his human form. He said, well, you should have heard of me. I was the biggest donator there is in the, in the creation. I gave more than anybody. I should be in the history books for that. Bhagavan is both within and without the universe. How to understand this tattva? So we're, we're looking at this tattva and, and we're looking at it as presented by Lord Brahma in his prayers of realization after the Brahma Vimohan Leela. He's at the point, he's got down off his swan. 
and he's offered obeisances. You can imagine he's done this little trick, and he's you can kind of pick up Krishna's like hasn't said a word. He's just standing there silently, and all of a sudden, all the cowboys and the cowherds, he's seen them turn into Vishnu forms, and he's he's seen those in those Vishnu forms. He's he's then seen all the universes, and he's seen all of the demigods and all of the Brahmas offering obeisances to those Vishnus, including himself. He's watching a vision of all these Vishnus being worshipped by all the denizens of heaven and all the Brahmas of all the universes individually. You have to understand who these Vishnus, they all have Lakshmi on their chest. They are all Narayan. And he's seeing that and he's seeing from his swan carrier, he's seeing himself offering praise to one of these Vishnus. And then they're gone. He's just amazed. He closes his eyes. He's open and there's just this little boy, Krishna, standing there. Kind of smiling, kind of not smiling. The calves, the cowherd boys aren't there. He was bewildered before. He didn't know. Are the ones in the caves the real ones? Or are these the real ones? Which ones are the real calves and cows? He, he was bewildered. Brahma Bimoan. He himself had become bewildered by Krishna's yoga maya. By Krishna's maya. By Krishna's mysticism. He thought he was a great mystic, but now he, he was bewildered. He didn't know where the cow, where are they? Are they inside or outside? Which are the real ones? Which are the false ones? Are the real ones real, real? Are they just a reflection? He's overcome, and he gets down, and he, he, he departs his swan carrier, and he falls down. Repeatedly, the Leela says, repeatedly he offers obeisances. You can imagine he's how overwhelmed. He gets up and he just, oh, yeah. and then these prayers are coming. And so much philosophy is there, and Jiva is milking this discourse for all it's worth, bringing out all these points. Try to understand this is God. These are some points you need to understand about Bhagavan Sri Krishna. Brahma gives further reason to substantiate that Bhagavan's form is all-pervading. So from an earlier verse, we have the phrase, touch choppy satyam, also means that the Lord's expansion of Narayan is real and not illusory like the cosmic form. Philosophical points being made from the earlier verse. And then from another verse, these are verses 14th chapter of the, of the 10th canto, 14th verse, then another phrase, touch shej jalastyam. That's in the next verse, the 15th verse, indicates that if this real form of Bhagavan, situated on the waters of dissolution, was itself the universe, then it too would be part of material nature, which it is not. So the point that Brahma has made in these two verses, and Jiva is bringing to our attention as his student, is that Narayan is also not influenced 
by the material nature. He's Krishna's expansion. Just because he appears within the material cosmos and just because from him we have the Purusha avatars expanding from him, creating the universe, maintaining the universe, protecting every everyone in the universe. That's the function of the mode of goodness. Those in the mode of goodness protect. That's it's their function. In society, they're the Brahmins. The Brahmins give protection to human society through their good direction. They protect us from going off the rails. And when we do go off the rails, then they can come in and rectify the situation. They can give some sacrifice. They can give some advice on do some tapa. So they're protecting human society. This is mode of goodness. This is Lord Vishnu's function. Point being made here, it's being pulled out, is the fact that Narayan, who is representative of the mode of goodness within the material realm as one of the Purusha manifestations, either the creator or Garbodakshai Vishnu, the conglomerate, or Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu, the indwelling super soul. So let's go on in this Praman. In this way, the body of the Lord, which includes Narayan as its part, contains even the universe, which is within material nature. Sri Krishna showed this form that was also experienced by his mother, and Brahma next recalls this event. So now Jiva goes on. Now let's go on to the next verse. This is all one series of prayers from Brahma. Twelve verses in a row. All this philosophy just packed in there. So now Brahma's bringing up the example of Krishna's mother. He's already said that he's, I'm your son. You know, I was born from the lotus. You're my mother. That doesn't seem to be working. He's not got people. Krishna hasn't peeped. Nothing. Well, nothing. I can't. I can't bring out that that familial affection for me. Maybe I can bring it out by mentioning Krishna's mother. Maybe this will soften him up a little bit. Maybe I did offend him. I told him it's just like a baby kicking him. You know, you should not see this as a great offense. I'm a baby in your womb, and I kicked you, so. The mother doesn't get disturbed by that. <laughs> and Krishna still was just standing there. And you're my father. I was born from from the lotus. That can, isn't that... So you're my father. You can't neglect me. Can you? <laughs> still nothing's being said. So now, what about your mother? Now, she saw the whole universe. Remember that? So now he's trying, well, okay, let me try this, this approach now. Here too, in this avatar, that subdues Maya, you showed that the entire externally manifest material cosmos is the creation of Maya when you revealed it to your mother as being within your own belly. So this is the first of currents where Mother Yasoda saw the entire universe within her son. This came when when she was feeding Krishna. 
and uh, he yawned. He was giving, yes, this is nice, Malcolm. I'm ready maybe for a nap. So he yawned, and Mother Yusoda looked, and in his mouth, in his belly, there she was feeding him, and she saw the entire cosmos also, both inside. She was outside, but inside was everything that she was aware of outside. Imagine the vision she had. What would you, what would be your experience? What would you do if you looked in your child's mouth and everything was there, including you? <laughs> You'd probably say, did I take something this morning? Did someone sp spike my drink? <laughs> Uh, somebody up to some no good. So you might think like that if you looked in your child's mouth and saw the whole cosmic manifestation as a revelation. And you're also there and that same child is on your lap and you're looking in its mouth. It could create some bewilderment. And that's exactly what happened to Mother said. So. so Brahma's intent. Jiva Goswami goes on in his Anucheta. In this avatar called Krishna, of course we know Krishna is not an avatar, but that's for another discussion. We could go back to Jiva's instruction to us regarding what is our approach when something that doesn't completely... Why did the sadhus do this? Remember we covered that in a class. Why did the sadhus present, you know, present information that doesn't fully reconcile with the Vaishnav perspective. Well, they're speaking to a broader audience. So, there are people that think the worshippers of Lakshmi Narayan certainly do not think that Krishna is Bhagavan Swayam. Narayan is Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna is simply an avatar of Lord Narayan. And that's their philosophical conception. Vishwanath says, we won't argue with that. He talks in his 10th canto commentary. So, in this avatar called Krishna, which subdues Maya, you showed your mother that the material world is both within your belly and external to it. Thus, any limitations it might impose on you are illusory. Maya generates the illusion that you are within the universe and that the universe is outside you. Actually, by your inconceivable internal power, though you have a medium-sized body, you pervade everything. It's an important point. It's hard for us, from our perspective, from our empirical perspective, the way we look at things, to conceive of the supreme being both inside and outside and being all being that all pervasive gradually he's bringing this point out krishna is both the material manifestation but completely separated from it he is both narayan but completely separated from narayan he is the purusha avatars he is all the leela avatars that are mentioned, and all the ones that 
aren't mentioned. He's all those, but he's separate from all those. How are we to wrap our mind around this? When we're confronted with this as devotees, as sadhikas, how do we reconcile all these points? Is this really Krishna here, or is this just Lord Narayan? How are we to look at these you know, these situations. And that's what's being introduced. We're just at the beginning of the Bhagavat Sandharva, 34th Anucheda. There's 106 Anuchedas here in the Bhagavat Then we go to the Paramatma Sandharva. There's another 100 plus Anuchedas, if memory serves me. And then we go to the Krishna Sandharva, where we get to know more about the nature of Krishna. How much Jiva is going to bring out and He's going to focus our understanding to such a point, all these various philosophical points. When you hear the pastimes, after having him focus all these philosophical points, how much richer, how much more appreciation is there, how much more that softens the heart, that, wow, Brahma, what is Brahma doing for me here in offering these prayers in this way? ahead of our Sampradaya. He started it all. And then we re really begin to appreciate how deep are the teachings of this Brahma, Madhva, Gaudiya, Sampradaya that we have had the good fortune of coming into contact with. It's amazing. His cosmic form, Bharad Rupa, which is material, is explained in this way for the benefit of neophyte yogis so that they can purify their minds by such meditation. We're now looking back at the beginning presentation, second canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, and looking to the presentation of the various avatars. And that presentation begins by Sukadeva Goswami talking about the Virat Rupa. And the Virat Rupa is a materialistic conception of the Supreme. It has its purpose. Purpose is for the yogis who need to begin to envision the nature that's all around them. They need to begin to see that nature in relationship to the Supreme Person. So they need to come to a personal understanding so therefore, Sukadev Goswami begins there. Why does he begin there? Look at the audience he has. He has Maharaj Parikshit there in the audience, but who's the majority of the audience? Who's shown up to help Maharaj Parikshit? It's mostly the yogis of the day. They need to come to the platform of Maharaj Parikshit's appreciation of the sweetness of the Supreme so that they can relish the 10th Canto Leela of Krishna. So we begin where they are. Well, first, let's look at everything. You are practicing yogis. And how do you see things? You see things through that practice and through that philosophical conception. Now, let us see within the cosmos, which is all around you, the form of the Supreme. So we begin here. So this is mentioned right at the beginning of the second canto, in the first chapter. 
Sukadeva Goswami says, having mastered posture, your posture and alignment, and breath, remaining aloof from the company of others, and regulating the senses, one should use the intelligence to fix the mind on the Lord's gross form, which is called the Virat Rupa. Then we have an explanation by that great commentator on the Bhagavatam, which is deep. Shridhar Swami says the following in his commentary. Virat, the conception of Virat Rupa, Hiranyagarbha and Karana are the three limiting adjuncts, upadis, of God in his capacity as a supreme eminent. But he who is free from these is called Tariya, the fourth dimension, or in other words, the supreme transcendence. How much is there? Virat, Hiranyagarbha, and Karna are the three limiting adjuncts. So what he's basically saying is the yogis, in order to get a proper conceptual orientation, begin here. But really, their conception is, it's an apati. It's a projection on the supreme. It's not really the supreme. It's a material envisionment of the cosmos. It's a material envisionment of the relationship of the jivas, Hiranyagarbha, that supreme conglomerate of souls who occupy a universe, a cosmos, and the karna, the causal ocean, which manifests not only that universe, but all universes. So Mother Yusoda saw the whole universe in Krishna, in Krishna's mouth, when he yawned while being breastfed. According to Brahma, the universe that Yasoda saw within Krishna is the same universe that existed outside Krishna's body as a manifestation of the Lord's Maya. Here the word Maya does not mean magic or illusion. Sri Krishna showed Yasoda the universe within himself and showed himself within the universe in order to teach that his body is not pervaded or limited by the universe. This is a refutation of the theory that the Supreme Lord's body is constituted of maya or vidya. This takes us back to that deep understanding that we have from the Sundarbhas of the misconception held by the Mayavadis. Next Anocheta, short title, The Universe is Within the Lord's Belly. Sri Brahma again refers to his recent experience to further show that Bhagavan's body is all-pervading. Anucheta, just as this entire universe along with you yourself appeared within your belly, so too all that appears here is in you. How is this possible except through your maya? So Brahma is saying, and this is Jiva paraphrasing now, just as this entire material world along with you yourself exists in your belly, so too all that is manifest here, apparently outside of you, is inside you in exactly the same manner. 
So now he's speaking of his revelation where he saw Krishna's cows and calves turn into Vishnu's. Then those Vishnu's were worshipped by all the cosmos, by all the material elements of the cosmos, by all the Brahmas that were in charge of those various cosmos or the creators. It goes on, not that he goes on, but it goes on to explain is this a dream or is it an illusory creation of the gods? Or is it my own intelligence that has been bewildered somehow? No. So this is going back to Mother Yasoda. She's questioning herself. What am I seeing here? Krishna's opened his mouth and I've seen the whole cosmos. Is it... And she brings up three things. It's brought out for us again looking to Sridhar Swami's commentary. We can begin to see how much Lord Chaitanya appreciated Sridhar Swami by the way Sridhar Swami pulls the information out of the, out of the verses. This is the verse in the 8th uh, chapter, 40th verse. Is this a dream? Is Mother Yasoda questioning herself? Am I dreaming? No, I seem to be awake. Krishna does seem to be on my lap. Or is it the illusory creation of the gods? I'm seeing this? Or is it my own intelligence that has become bewildered? Three questions she puts forward. And then she goes on, no, this is a manifestation of my own son's natural yogic power of the self. I have a son, he's a yogi, and look what he could do. Through his inconceivable internal potency, he is endowed with a specific medium-sized and apparently limited body while simultaneously being all-pervading. This is Mother Yasoda. She's talking a little philosophy here. She's justifying the fact that this is not, it's not a dream. It's not created by some illusion. It's, um, what's the other one? It's not that I'm bewildered. And then she comes forth with the proper philosophical conclusion. And then Krishna takes all that away through his sweetness and she goes back to enjoying her loving relationship with her son. And we notice this throughout the Vraj pastimes that the residents of Vraj will speak this philosophy and it's so deep and it's, they understand everything that Krishna is and then they don't. So it's coming and going, this, this understanding to highlight how great those residents are, how deep they are. So Sridhar Swami's commenting on this statement by Mother Yasoda, this is what he says. Yasoda wondered, is this a dream? She then looked around and saw everything as normal and concluded that she was not dreaming. Then she asked herself, is this Maya created by the gods, by Sri Hari? If it were, then others would also have seen it. She then wondered if she had seen a reflection of the universe in the mouth of her son, owing to her own bewilderment of intelligence. But if she had, then how was it that she saw Krishna there as well? In a reflection, the mirror itself is not seen. Moreover, the worlds within and without his mouth appeared to be exactly the same, whereas the objects 
and its reflection in a mirror ordinarily appeared in reverse. Therefore, she finally concluded, oh, even though he is my son, it must be some inherent yogic power of his. Brought out in the, in the commentary, a reflection in a mirror appears in reverse. The reflection of a three-dimensional object is two-dimensional, but that wasn't her experience. So we look in a mirror and it's, it's two-dimensional, but she looked in her son's mouth and it was a world, a cosmos, and she was in there. So, And only visible objects can have a reflected image. Thus, anything that lacks form, such as scent, taste, touch, and sound, would be absent in the reflection. Again, that did not correspond with her revelation. Not only was it a, a visual experience, but... It was a world. It had everything in it. It was the universe that she was in. So that was her experience. That was her revelation. And that's what Srinar Swami's bringing out. This is how deep it was. It was a real reality. And that's the point that's being made. And she wanted to make sure herself it was real. And her conclusion, it was real. And what created it? My son created it. He's a yogi. Next verse, another verse, not exactly the next verse. When the cowherdess had realized the truth in this way, the Supreme Lord and Controller spread his internal Maya potency, his internal potency, yoga Maya, in the form of maternal affection for him. Everything that she was, was questioning you know, this, and then she figured out it was Krishna, and then Krishna's like, okay, enough of this. Let's get back to the sweetness of our association. And just painted her over again with his internal potency so that they could continue in their loving relationship. Thus Brahma has established that Krishna is Narayan and has proposed in Bhagavatam 14.14, Krishna is his father. So the next Dhanacheta, 36, Krishna's body is Advaya Brahman. So now we're going to go back to the core verse of the Sandarbhas. Varanti tat tat vavidas tatvam yajjanam advayam. Advaya Brahma. Brahmeti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabjate. Are there any questions? I was wondering the uh, what's the the connection or the yeah the connection between like knowledge and revelation because it seems like Krishna gives revelation mm -hmm. uh, to the practitioner or the devotee right and then uh, so we can look at that in a couple ways first of all when we look look within the modes of material nature, we see knowledge and we see ignorance and the influence of the modes of material nature. And that knowledge can take us to the point of, of to a certain point, but it's never going to be revelation as you speak. So your question is, if I understand correctly, 
where does knowledge end and revelation begin? Is that right? And and the way and um, and uh, like how do we know? How do, do we, does the practitioner, um, I mean, we acquire knowledge. But we also acquire through that knowledge revelation. This is not a, a mundane task. It's not like hearing from the, from the spiritual master, uh, associating with the sadhus and hearing from them, associating with Shastra. All that is itself revelation. Although it's coming to us in the guise of knowledge, in the fact of the matter is, it's not like material knowledge. So you know that because, well, the second time you read the book, it's an entirely different book, although some of it's familiar, but now you're looking at it from a different viewpoint. From a couple more years of experience, you go back and read it. So, and then more, more comes out. So it's not like mundane education. It's not my, like mundane knowledge. It is itself spiritual revelation. But that revelation will go beyond the intellect. At a certain point, it will become, you become integrated into that revelation. It will come and you will start to, the, the advancing stages of devotional practice, uh, devotional practice, uh, devotional service and practice, devotional service in, in ecstasy, this devotional service in pure, pure love of God. So we, we hear, you know, in Nartha Navriti, we hear in the beginning there'll be Kleshagna and Subhada, that there'll be a, a, a feeling of good fortune come upon the devotee and, uh, the pullings of material nature will will slacken more and more as as one continues in good association, and through that association, the heart is purified. That also will itself become a revelation, and you recognize, yeah, there's something's changed in me. Something's changing outside of me. The way I'm seeing things. Something's changing. Every time I read this, the same Leela, there's more and more there for me. I'm appreciating more and more. I'm learning more and more. But I'm not learning in that mundane way. You know, material knowledge has a limit. Transcendental knowledge is unlimited. So you'll never reach the end of it. You'll never fully enter into an absolute understanding of what Mother Yasoda experienced when she saw that revelation, when Krishna revealed the cosmos. Because Mother Yasoda could never fully comprehend. She fit, tried to put her mind around it, and then she said, well, it has to be Krishna and his yoga maya, and then, and then Krishna just painted it over. No, the sweetness came in because it's Rajalila, and and took over. So it's it's not mundane knowledge, spiritual practice. It's it's nothing like that. And it's what well, Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, this knowledge is the king of education, Rajavidya, Rajaguya. 
pavitramidamutamam pachaksha. It's everlastingly and joyfully performed. It's not always joyfully performed in the very beginning because, you know, sometimes we don't have a taste for it because we have the disease of jaundice, and so therefore it's sometimes a little bitter. There'll come a stage where there's no more bitterness. That's it. When Nista comes, the bitterness is going, and then the sweetness comes continually. The chanting is sweet, the association is sweet, the prasadam is always sweet. Everything becomes sweet. It's not mundane like that. Does that answer your question? It's, so the revelation will also become part of existence. It will become part of your spiritual life. You'll realize, Kleshagna, yeah, I suffer once in a while, but you know, it's not the suffering like I see happening in human society. I don't suffer. I look at the devotees, even the devotees that, you know, they go through some tribulation because of this or that, but it's, you can see Krishna's at work at every step minimizing all that. He really is. Just look at devotees' lives. They're blessed people. They really are. Kleshagda, Subhada, Subhada, good fortune. Even the bad fortune from a material viewpoint, when looked back with contemplation, was good fortune. Boy, Krishna saved me in that situation. He put me there for a reason, and now I can see 20, 30 years later there was a reason. I learned something there that really that sunk in. When I say I was at New Vrindavan, I learned, look back, and I learned a lot. It helped me. Sure didn't feel like it. So, sounds good. Okay, I, I understand what you're saying. I think I do. Um, but um, is it up to the devotee to increase or decrease uh, or speed up the amount of revelations there? Is that is that is it in the devotee's? Um, you could act in your best interest. There's no question whether it'll be, whether it'll play out the way you think it will. Oh, I'm going to quit this. Or sometimes those are just temporary things in the mind, as uh, as pointed out by uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti and Midoriya Kadambani. In the beginning, so many things are there. I wrote an article. You can you can read that. It's 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 about those beginning. Uh, Initial enthusiasm, running hot, running cold, uh, uh, parading possibilities. You know, sometimes we think, oh, you know, we're very enthused, and then the next week it's like, I'm not, I'm not going to the temple. So we run hot, we run cold, we have initial enthusiasm. I know God now. You know, and go out and jump and run around the streets, and then, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, now it's to, up to me to, to begin to control the mind and senses. And the guru's asking me, hey, now I need you to do this. Well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Can we speed up the process? Yes. Pick the finest association that you can find and stay in that. And yes, you can speed up the process. Or even if you can't stay in the association, it's a little too hot there. At least fully dedicate yourself there where the person on the other end knows of the depth of your dedication. Then yes, there can be some speed up here, but it's coming from that, coming down. There's nothing we can do from down here.
accept that is stay in good association and uh, really become a servant of the servant of, of our spiritual master yeah yes some speeding up but what's the rush I mean not that it's not a rush we don't want to take it for granted so don't don't misread what I'm saying what's the rush when I say that I mean be patient, be confident. Utsahannis Jayadaryat. That's what Rupa Goswami says. Enthusiasm, patience, confidence, good association. These things are favorable for our devotional service. Then he goes on, you know, what's unfavorable. So learn these simple things and try to follow the favorable and avoid the unfavorable as much as you can according to your capacity. But most stay in association. So is there something to speed it up? Association, association, and then more association, yes. That we can do, even if it's difficult. Anything else? And thank you so much for your association. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.